Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Ethan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, results strategist, business coach, mentor, and consultant. After over 14 years of being in business and running multiple companies, I felt called to start this show. I see many people struggling to start or grow a business, which is why I want to help entrepreneurs achieve success in business quicker, more effectively, and sustainably. Today, I have an awesome guest. She's a buyer and sell advisor, capital raiser, international speaker, coach, mentor, CEO activator, and capital raising show host. If you're looking at growing and selling your business, then you're in the right place. She provides extensive experience in a variety of business situations to ensure you get the best outcome. Welcome, Sissima, and thank you for being on my show. Thank you, Aysen. Thank you very much for the invite. Love to be on the show. Yeah, awesome. It's awesome to have you here. I'm sure it's going to be amazing for all of our listeners. So, um, you know, you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us a bit more about you and your journey. Sure. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so I started the journey um, in the mergers and acquisition field, I guess about 26 years ago. So basically, you know, in Australia, I started working, uh, started working in really large corporations doing mergers and acquisitions, buying and selling large businesses. So I did about $17 billion of transactions during that period. Um, so then I realized that a lot of the, the potential clients that came to me uh, for help because their sizes, they are around, you know, maybe two, $3 million per annum in revenue or up to $10 million in revenue. The company I was working for basically had a threshold that if you're not $10 million of revenue, we can't help you. So I feel like mm, there's a, you know, we would say about 97% of Australian businesses or even higher percentages are small and medium businesses. So I couldn't really help a lot of people that came to help me. So I decided to pay pretty much, you know, start a, a business that sort of work in the same field as I was doing, uh, doing the, you know, really large transactions, but working to help, you know, small and medium businesses, you know, uh, businesses that, that could be uh, running under $10 million of revenue per annum, for example. And they are looking for help to grow their businesses faster, you know, on the, uh, we call the, the, the J curve, Sorry, this way, <laughs> going the wrong way, always going the wrong way. Yes, uh, so, you know, they need a bit of help either from external investors or partners to pretty much, uh, you know, catapult their business into a really great uh, growth trajectory. And, uh, and some businesses are, you know, business owner who's been working in the business for a very long time and looking to say, yes, uh, maybe it's time for me to move on and, you know, for somebody else to take over the business. And that's where I came in, come in as well. And sometimes I do also help large businesses like listed, um, you know, I've got New York Stock Exchange listed company. I've got uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange listed companies, et cetera, and NASX listed companies that are looking to acquire smaller businesses to, you know, basically they call it inorganic growth to help them, you know, expand a lot quicker 
And uh, so I, I help those businesses as well. So I'm kind of sort of, we, I call them the business grow and sell your biz, a, a one-stop shop to grow and sell your business. Yeah. Awesome. That's some amazing experience that you have and, um, you know, a variety of things. And I love that you're, you know, helping the, you know, smaller and medium businesses, because like you said, that's the majority, uh, you know, percentage wise of, of those businesses. And, um, you know, you also have a lot of connections in, in all the continents, basically. And obviously you're originating from China as well. So you've got, a, you're very connected there too. So, um, you know, how, how does that work in terms of like, you know, the businesses that you're focusing on more on and, and what are you sort of providing in those spaces? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh... I do have a lot of Australian businesses looking to expand overseas, for example, whether they want to expand to the US, to China, to Asia or to Europe. I have connections in those areas so I can actually help them expand by, you know, sometimes it's getting the, the, the right investors or partners because wherever you go internationally, the hardest thing is to actually understand the local culture, the local business etiquette, the local legislation you know, all of those things, tax structures and things like that. So if by having a local partner, you basically uh, saving half, at least half of the hassle, but you know, you go at least twice as far with, with a local car partner. So that's how I help Australian businesses to go overseas. And vice versa, there are overseas businesses that are looking to expand in Australia, for example, the ones that I was talking about, you know, the, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange listed, the New York Stock Exchange listed companies. They see Australia as a, um, you know, a destination of investment that they want to grow here. There are certain, you know, Australia is pretty good at a, a number of areas, you know, like um, mining industry, for example, Australia is pretty good at um, some of the, I guess, the, uh, the health, you know, research and things like that. So there are overseas uh, partners who would want to partner with Australian businesses to grow that way as well. So it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a two-way street. And sometimes you could be looking at a business that, that are in a number of jurisdictions. And that's when, you know, there's some maybe complex tax issues that you've got to uh, be aware of that you've got to be able to help people. So, yeah, yeah. That's where my, my CPA training comes in handy as well. I'm a, a fellow of the Certified Practicing Accountants of, uh, of Australia. And um, I, I think we have 165,000 members in across 200 countries. So it makes it uh, easy when we want to, you know, try and reach out to people as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And obviously, you know, you're, you're based in Brisbane and, um, you know, being able to help businesses and, and especially in these times where, you know, a lot more global things are happening and people wanting to go into different markets. So it's really imperative that people look at um, you know, who can help them to do that? Because like you said, there's so many differences in, in these countries and um, tax structures and with you, with your CPA and, and your contacts around the place, then, um, you know, because if you don't structure your business correctly or the deal correctly, then, you know, you could have big implications um, down like that as well. So, yeah. Local tax issues that could actually uh, even kill a deal or you know if if there are things that spe you know specifically for overseas investors you've got to be look out got to look out for those things as well um, some countries are not that welcoming of overseas investments and others 
are different. So yeah, so it's always uh, always important to actually research and understand the local laws uh, before you you know decide to expand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, you know, in terms of the main, I guess, considerations to focus on, you know, to get the highest business valuation, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Mm, well, it depends on what sort of business. So, so we, if we're talking about technology-related business, uh, you know, with uh, what we call them recurring revenue, that's what, you know, people love the most. Uh, because recurring revenue means that you can get a lot higher multiples on, you know, either revenue or EBITDA, which is, you know, earnings before interest tax and depreciation and amortization. It's a bit of a mouthful. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a pretty uh, normal euro um, factor to consider in, in doing, you know, buying and selling businesses. Uh, a lot of businesses uh, work on EBITDA, and, uh, which is kind of a, similar to what cash is and, and some other businesses like um, technology related businesses, uh, some of them are actually done on revenue multiples rather than EBITDA multiples, uh, mainly because uh, they are not even revenue as yet. <laughs> A lot of the venture investments, uh, early stage venture investments typically invest at a stage where um, you know, they, they have very little, they have some revenue, but they, they're not in profit. Um, because it takes a lot of uh, money to actually develop a product or develop a technology to a stage where they can, you know, roll it out to people so that they can start earning revenue. And so at the early stage, investors would invest in a business, um, you know, the, the likes of Uber, for example, they're still not returning a profit, but, you know, the valuation is it's still quite high. Um, so you know, factors to consider a lot is a lot to do with how your revenue is derived. So for example, you know, consultant revenue is not considered very high on the, uh, on the, uh, you know, what do you, the, the packing order in terms of um, valuation. So that it's mainly because consulting revenue tend to be one of project related revenue. And uh, when you try to, you know, either get people to invest in the business or uh, try to sell a business, the uh, the investor or the set or the buyer needs to make sure ensure that the whatever historical revenue you're earning is a, a good in- indication of what future revenue might be. For consulting revenue, it's hard because you know once the people you you might you know abc or or joe bloke pty ltd joe bloke consulting pty ltd for example if joe bloke is gone the the consulting revenue may not be there anymore so therefore you can't you know how how do you value uh assuming the future revenue will be the same as past it would be a big ask if you don't have the right um, revenue structure, right, right type of revenues. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, that's, um, that's some awesome points that you, you, you know, raised there. And I was actually going to bring up consulting. So you beat me to it, which is awesome. And, um, you know, I, I had those, you know, struggles initially in my consulting business and, and it's not just from a valuation point of view, it's also a cash flow point of view. If you, you know, you're just getting one off projects and especially when yep. you're starting out, it, you know, it's mm-hmm. a challenge um, for people right. and, you need to work out 
okay, what can I do ongoing for people that people need in whatever niche that you're working in that, you know, can provide a lot of value and then, you know, give you that constant cash flow. And then once you, you know, you crack that code, so to speak, in your space, then that's really the focus area. And, um, you know, it's been, you know, definitely, you know, a game changer for myself to grow. And then like every sort of project you get from there is sort of like cream in a way um, where you, you know, that, that allows you to just, you know, build more, grow, and be at least you can, um, you know, pay have your expenses, your ongoing stuff, whether it's you know your wages or or anything else that you've got um, to pay. Um, then at least that that covers those areas, and then you can um, continue to to work on those deals or any other deals, I guess that that you're, you're working on. So it's um yeah, it's it's very interesting um, on on the different models um, of how it works and. It's interesting to see that I think the good part about consulting or, or coaching or things like that is that it's a business that is easy to get into with minimal amounts of capital, right? Um, Very so. low threshold, entry threshold. But it's also a con in that because it's, you know, so low in, in the threat entry, entry level, then anyone can get into it. You know, anyone could call themselves a coach or a consultant. <laughs> it's, a, it's, you know, who can, uh, the, um, the, your client or potential client or customer base, whether they believe your story or not, right? And, and whether you can provide the value that they're expecting. And, um, you know, in, in terms of the consulting, you can actually work out a, a model that will uh, give you a recurrent revenue as well. Like, for example, uh, what JT is doing with, uh, you know, um, Millionaire Flix, <clears throat> it's pretty much recurrent revenue, right? 20 bucks per month. It's a, it's a small amount to pay per month. But if you continue, like, you know, a lot of people get onto something then, and they get into the habit of not um, actually um, un, uh, six, unsubscribe, for example. <laughs> so they'll continue subscribing to it. And, and so you have a, you know, you, you have a history of uh, recurrent revenue. And in that case, when the business is when you're ready to sell that kind of business and then you can command a lot higher multiple in terms of revenue than if you were selling a business that has uh, you know project-based uh, consulting you know once-off uh, type of revenue and, and even if you might be you might have a business uh, a client that has been using you for a very long time, you know, even for 10 years, you still can't guarantee that for the next year, they're still going to use it, right? Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah. <clears throat> that's um, yeah, that, that's some awesome points there. And um, yeah, definitely people to think a bit outside the box about, you know, it might not be what you're currently doing. It's like, how can I change it? And, and I guess, you know, there's other ways, right? So some people, you know, want to grow their business. However, um, you know, they don't want to give away equity in their business, right? Where possible, obviously tech companies want to give away more, you know, need it most of the time because um, of how much capital, but other people in standard businesses don't, but they want to grow, right? So another avenue is like, you know, partnering with somebody in a different context, like a joint venture or a profit share agreement or, or something like that, I guess. So, you know, what are key things you think people should think about um, that would be fair for all of the parties um, if they wanted to grow a business, you know, in a way that everybody benefits like that. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I always say that, uh, you know, it's better to have a bigger pie, a smaller piece of a bigger pie than to have a bigger piece of a smaller pie, right? So that is the thing that you basically, you want to partner with, 
you know, a lot more people than you uh, normally would do. I guess the, as many as possible, if you enter into a, a you know, sort of a formal type partnership arrangements with others uh, to, to basically agree up front to say, if we work together, then we're going to, as you were saying, revenue share or profit share or whatever that arrangement is. Um, with, you know, deals that I take on, if you can, um, you know, get get the revenue or get investors or whatever, then um, the fee that we will share the fee or, or we will share the profit out of it. And in that kind of arrangement, everyone wins because everyone wants to get, you know, more benefit out of a particular deal. And, and then you also have additional people work for you pretty much, right? <laughs> Other people that has aligned interests with you and who go out and, and you know, do business development for you uh, because, you know, they want the same type of uh, outcome as you. You know, you might not be able to share revenue 50-50 or, you know, depending on um, what sort of cost structure you have, you might have to share it, uh, you know, more to yourself, less to others. But the other side is, is true as well. If it's a deal that they have, they might have higher, you know, uh, overhead or whatever, then you get a smaller share of, of the deal. But after all, you know, you, I think uh, what, is a, what is fair is in the case where you negotiate with the others, you know, you, you agree with, with the counterparty. And um, if you can incentivize others to work with you uh, to basically advance your courses better than if you were doing it yourself, then that would be a, a great outcome. And um, I think, you know, I've, I've heard, I've seen cases where um, basically you, you share fees up to 50%. It's, you, you said, oh yeah, we, we're in this together. We're like a partnership in doing this particular deal. Let's say, you know, if we get the deal done, each of us will get 50%. In that case, uh, everyone will be going out to say, yes, I'm going to go out, out and get this done, right? Because without, if we don't get it done, then 50% of zero is still zero. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Partnership is, is, is a great way. I mean, I, I say partnerships in a way that is loosely defined, not as, you know, as in Australian tax, like taxation law that you don't want to enter into a partnership with people sometimes. But um, it's, you know, it's so long as you have an arrangement agreement with others to work on deals together, that, that, will, that will be um, good. Yeah, obviously you want to enter into an arrangement, not just, you know, verbally agree. It's always better to uh, uh, put it in writing, <laughs> right? Definitely. Um, yeah, that's uh, su such great points there. And um, yeah, definitely, Definitely need everything in writing. A lot of people, um, you know, make that, you know, challenge an issue. And, and, and I guess that comes down to that due diligence phase, right? Of, you know, it's really extremely important um, in, in a lot of different things, but even especially, I guess, for, you know, the capital raising and, and exiting parts of businesses, right? Um, really understanding. So, so what's involved, um, you know, in, in that phase? Um, it's very, very involved. Um, there are, you know, vendor due diligence. So on the sell side, you, you've got to 
get your books together really, really well. And, you know, you've got to have at least three years of financials. This is in the case of a mature business. And in some cases, when you're in a startup business, obviously, you're not in place three years ago as yet. But, you know, you won't have to have three years of financials. But people are always looking for a level of historical normality, you know, what at the time when you enter into the deal, you, you want to make sure that whatever valuation you are done based on, you know, whatever years EBITDA is normalized, right? It basically means that, yes, that year you might have a revenue or EBITDA of a million dollars, um, but there are, you know, if you have a business where the, the owners actually uh, draw money out of the business as if it's, uh, it's their own personal account, then you really have to clean it up before you actually put it up for investment or for, for people to buy it. Because uh, no one really wants to buy a business with so much um, owner's uh, transactions because, you know, owner's transactions is typically really hard to get to the bottom of it. You know, they tend typically have a, a one line kind of thing in the accounts, you know, to draw it out, but you, you have to back it all up as well. So as you know, one part of the due diligence is, is really just to normalize your accounts so that it, it is, uh, it takes out all these abnormal stuff, like if you have uh, owner's transactions or if you have, uh, non-ops lens transactions, not even owners. You could have non-ops lens transactions with a related party, but the related party could, you know, it's not actually part of the transaction. Then in that case, you have to normalize it so that for future references to work out what the profitability is, your historical, you know, cost base or, or revenue base is normalized to what would be if there is a an arm's length transaction you know if you were charging your um, your own company a, a, a ten thousand dollar rent when the actual market rent is a hundred thousand dollars then you have to normalize it so that it's you know add that ninety thousand dollars onto the cost base so you, your EBITDA would reduce in that case. And, and so the, those are the, you know, the type of detail you look out for or the things that would otherwise be uh, not normal, uh, you know, just normalize it. And so what we call it performa financials for the, for the year that you're looking at, you know, and then you do, that's, that's only part of the financial modeling, looking at what, what is the future, uh, outlook for this company. Um, and obviously you look at all these historical um, documentation, you, you know, whether everything is set up properly, whether there's a, this is huge test checklist of 30, 40 items that each of these due diligence uh, things have to go through. You know, what is the IP that the company owns and who owns the IP? Um, what's the potential, you know, uh, sort of um, issues to do with that. If, if there is any legal battles that's happening and you know, what is the potential liability in that respect? What's the employee uh, you know, uh, leave, leave liabilities? Uh, they might have, you, know, you might have to pay when you get on, when you uh, acquire the business, if you, you know, gotta get, get that right as well. And that you know, any any transactions out abnormal transactions uh, 
there's this whole whole list of things that you have to go through uh, to do due diligence um, on both the buy and sell sides. Um, obviously, on the sell side, you want to make the business look as beautiful as as it can, <laughs> and uh, you know try to basically clean it up before you put it out so that it's um, you, you, people can go through all the numbers and understand all the numbers. So I, um, I had an instance where I was helping one of my clients and um, they had a company that they're looking to acquire and the other party actually had uh, accounts uh, that had different ending value and add to beginning value on balance sheet. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you know when when you see things like that, you say mm, that is, that looks strange. What is going on? And when the explanation is that they have changed accountants, that doesn't give you a lot of comfort, does it? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's just you know lots of things that you have to look out for. Um, yeah, so, and, and on the, 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 the buy side, if you were to buy a business, then you've got to make sure that all the, uh, the forecasts, you know, they, they, they might have forecasts for uh, a few million dollars here and there for future revenue. Uh, if they don't have uh, contracts to back, back it up or if they don't have, you know, things that kind of reasonable to you, then, then you you know, when in normalizing, you just write it off. You just say, I don't believe this is true. And therefore you, you, you come up with a number. And sometimes um, the, the seller's number and the buyer's number could be vastly different. And, and then you negotiate, you know, you, you say, well, I don't believe this is true. I don't believe this and that. And if they can't explain, then you stick to your point. <laughs> uh, yeah, and sometimes it's um, it's actually better for your clients, for you know, in the case of uh, buy side clients, um, it's it's actually better for them if they didn't buy a business that will lose some money. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, and I think um, in that in one of the cases of my my uh, buy side clients, basically because of the advice I gave them, they didn't buy that the particular business, but they were um, so impressed and they were so happy with the advice that they said, oh, uh, find me more businesses like this. I want you to help me find more businesses. Uh, so not just, you know, on this particular assignment, it's uh, like oh, for future ones, just, yeah. So when you deliver great advice for clients um, in, the, in their best interest, um, they would, you know, definitely they will give you more business, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so many awesome points there that you just raised. Um, and there's a couple of things that I'm a bit curious about that maybe you can share that just popped out in my head was um, like, I know like with Australian tax law that I know more of is that, you know, if you want to not pay the company tax, right, of roughly 30%, then um, you make a slight loss in the business, right? Now, you know, a simple way to do that is to pay yourself like your, your wage or, you know, direct the fees and things like that, um, um, that you can do. And, and that way, you know, whatever that amount is, then you can put it into a loss. Um, if it's, if it's best for tax purposes, right. That will depend on everyone's situation. So then you could overinflate the wage, right. Um, just for tax purposes. So then, 
would you then take that out in that EBITDA calculation? Just say, I'm just putting this as my wage and then put that out. Is that how it would work or? Well, you would look at the market rate, you know, whether if you have inflated it, then you would actually reduce that inflation. And, you know, uh, it's, you look at uh, the, I guess, pay more attention to the directors or the owners in terms of how much money they're drawing out of the business. This is the, what I was talking about earlier, the, the, basically the owner's transactions. So this could be one of the owner's transactions. But one of the important points is, is that you can't, I always say to uh, business owners, you, you can't have what is a uh, have your cake and eat it too. You can't manage your um, expenses so that you, you know you pay minimum tax, but then you want to make make that um, a higher EBITDA in in the case when you decide to sell, because um, you know you you have your accounting books, but the buyer would want to see your textbook as well. So it is you you. If you said in the tax that this is how much I'm paying, then that is how much you're, you're paying. So yes, you do normalization on the expenses, but to a certain level, you, you know, you can't say, yeah, oh, I'm going to, um, my company has been earning zero in, for tax, but in fact, it's actually profitable, um, but it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, yeah. That, that's a good point. Um, the other one that popped out to me that I, I see people do, you mentioned IP and, you know, which is obviously important um, for businesses because then there's more certainty in, you know, the products and, and whatever else that they're selling. So um, what I see sometimes what people do, I don't know if you've had experience in this, is they, um, some people have IP registered within the business. Some people have like a different entity. Where, where IP is registered. So do you have any experience in that on, on what the pros and cons are of doing that? Yeah, um, business, I mean, investors always want to invest in the business with the IP registered to its name. So that is pretty much a given. Um, but you, you can always work it out so that uh, it, it is pretty much, it can be assigned on, you know, investment, for example, it was, if it's registered in the holding company, you can say, well, at the, at the time of transaction, we'll assign all the IP to the subsidiary where you're putting all the money in. Um, that's one, you know, potential way of getting the IP in there. Or the other way is basically have a, uh, license, you know, sign up a license agreement for forever <laughs> or for as long as law, you know, uh, allows and then with a, a peppercorn license fee or, or whatever license fee that the, um, the, the investor or the buyer is happy to pay. So that's sort of subject to negotiation then. Yeah, I have seen it done in both cases where, you know, people have a have the IP registered to one company and, and say that I'm going to, I want the investment in another company, which, you know, um, you, you have some investors that are vehemently against that kind of thing, <laughs> then you'll lose that potential investor by, you know, basically structuring it that way. But um, in other cases, investors are, are not, you know, they can, they can work around it. So it's, it's, it's not always a, a deal, deal uh, killer or deal breaker. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. But, is, is there any um, like 
um, for, for like risk or, or anything like that for like a reason why you would have it in a separate entity rather than the business that you're trading? That's possible in that uh, the, the IP may have developed under a different name when, you know, like businesses grow, um, ideas change and, um, you know, maybe one day entrepreneurs are great at developing new ideas, right? So they could be developing one idea in one business and thinking this is going to be the one for the future. Uh, but, at, you know, a couple of years later, they said, oh, there will be a better idea. I'm going to use this. So it, it's, uh, it's history. It can be history as well. But, it, you know, if you, can, if you can manage it, it's always better to actually make it clean on, you know, on the transaction or before transaction and tell the, the investors that it, it's clean this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, the risk is that uh, the, the, the transfer of license or the, the, the license um, or the transfer of IP or the license itself is not valid. Um, and therefore, whoever invests in the, the company that the license is not in the name for, they have, you know, they, they have the risk that they, they may not have what they need for business. Uh, but, you know, obviously, any good uh, business buyer or, or uh, advisor would say, um, make sure that, you know, lawyers make sure that all the clauses are in place and, and all the, you know, the right documentation is in place so that you have the, what you, what you need to run the business and uh, you pay for only the minimum that you need to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so very important. That's why having, um, you know, advisors, um, accountants, lawyers, and people like yourself, um, you know, in those transactions, because, there's so many different variables depending on what type of deal it is that, um, yeah, you don't want to miss something um, that, yeah, hurts you. So, um, and then I guess if you're looking at like exiting a, a business, right, um, you know, you know, who, who should, um, you know, who should you get involved? And I guess what, what things should you do to get um, the highest amount and the best terms specifically? Like are there certain people that you think, and, and various stages that would be good to get involved with? Yeah, <laughs> it's another depends question as well, uh, because businesses exit at all stages of their life cycle. Some businesses exit um, at you know very early stage once they've got an MVP or whether they once they started, it's even like very early early stage on, uh, and businesses. People exit businesses for different reasons as well. You know, some of them are to do with life uh, situations where, you know, one of the owners uh, uh, died or whatever, then you just have to, just have to do it, right? Exit it that way. But um, if, let's say, if it's under the normal circumstances where someone's decided that they just want to exit the business and they've been in the business for a while, um, it's been operating for a while. So in, in that case, you know, you sort of try to look for a really reputable uh, advisor to help you um, from a, a financial perspective, from a legal perspective, um, tax and all of those things. And, and also um, basically when they do that, they will look, you know, the advisor will look, okay, this is, uh, let's say if it's a manufacturing business and they will say, yes, 
who are the potential buyers. You know, you could have a trade sale to somebody else that's in the supply chain or someone, even a competitor. Um, competitors buy each other out all the time because they basically buy another piece of the same business. You know, that is actually a, a really good thing where you it's consolidation, right? You got uh, a business A, a business B, so one plus two equals four. That's when you have, you know, if two businesses have synergies, then you can actually get better outcomes for the, the sale. That's, you know, that's where the advisor will come in and say, well, I believe these are the potential acquirers of your business. And you know, typically there's, you know, your typical trade sale, your, your typical private equity sale or VC, depending on the stage of development. Um, so these kind of uh, professional investors or professional business buyers, they would look at the business and say, am I going to be able to, you know, grow the business and exit it again in the next uh, five, seven years, depending on their own a horizon as well um, and the other one is uh, basically exit by listing you know if you have a business that is uh, a reasonable size and uh, putting it on the ASX or NSX uh, might be able to you'll be able to exit it and you don't have to exit it 100% you can exit it a certain percentage um, and you know make it uh, a, a publicly listed company and in that case, you know, obviously you'll, you'll need to look for IPO brokers who will help you do the IPOs. And um, there's, you know, reverse takeovers as well for I RPOs. So you don't have to do a fresh IPO because um, fresh IPO, you, you have to demonstrate a certain history and there's um, asset, net asset thresholds and also um, profit uh, thresholds as well. But if you do go it uh, via a reverse takeover, that means there is a, a listed company already and you just do, you know, you merge your company into that listed company. In that case, the listed company has already been operating for a while and they, well, they're, they're kind of dominant at the time when you, your business goes into it, then um, there are, you know, sort of timeframes are, potentially shorter, but you've got to find the right uh, RTO target as well. And that, that's a, that situation um, can take, a take some time. There are a list of um, companies on the stock exchange that are uh, pretty much dominant, that, you know, very low share price, but each one of them have a shareholder list of maybe a few thousand uh, people. So you, you have to make sure that um, you're, sort of RTO back into a company that has um, the same type of, not necessarily the same business, because you can RTO into a different line of business nowadays, but the existing shareholders has to be aligned in terms of thinking for future as well. There's a lot of things to consider in that case as well. So, I mean, I guess IPO and RTO are, are sort of, uh, along the same lines where you're just basically going from a private company into a public company, publicly listed company. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, some amazing points there, um, Sissy. And it shows just like the, there's so many different complexities and variations, which is why obviously um, yeah. someone like you is, is, you know, really needed to want to understand 
what's the best strategy, um, you know, and then what do you need to do beforehand as well um, to make sure that you get the best outcome. And, and I guess more on that, you also have a podcast yourself called, you know, The Capital Raising Show. So yeah, please let everyone know more about it. Sure. Yes, I, I started it a, a few months back uh, thinking that uh, I am raising capital for a number of companies. But at the, t- the same time, when I'm raising capital, I discovered that um, there are various, you know, in Australia, there's definitely a, a kind of a, a, a investor basis are quite different for, you know, angel investors versus VC investors versus, uh, you know, family office or uh, private equity investors. So um, different businesses will call for different type of investors. And uh, so I thought, oh, uh, how about if I do a show that basically I, I sort of interview entrepreneurs who's raised capital um, and I've sort of set it as at least seed level of capital and, and all investors who's, uh, you know, serial investors in businesses as well. And I interview them for what they are doing in terms of or what they did, what their experience were um, in uh, a number of maybe they've had a couple of uh, capital raises, for example, maybe they've invested a number of businesses. And so I asked them what, what's their experience or what, what made them invest or what, what made their investors invest in their business and what are the learnings that they had and, and what's the pitfall that they want others to avoid. So, so the listeners will be able to actually get some benefit out of it and, and you know, hear real life experiences of people, um, you know, it's not a textbook approach. It's similar to what you're doing. Um, I'm trying to kind of um, limit it to 30 minutes, but I find that every time, you know, people talk longer as uh, I'm doing right now, <laughs> talking longer. Uh, yeah, because it's so easy to uh, just basically extend because uh, you know, the, whatever, whoever you're in, in, uh, interviewing, they tend to be uh, people who's experienced and who's already done it. And, and when you talk about their experiences, um, then they, there's just so much wealth that you can learn from it. Um, and I'm, I'm not as uh, quick as you. I'm, I think I'm up to episode 11, uh, but I haven't actually uploaded all the episodes on YouTube yet. I think I'm up to episode nine on YouTube. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, now that's, you're getting some really awesome guests on there, you know, a couple that I know and, um, you know, I definitely um, implore anybody that's looking at investing or capital raising to definitely check it out or, um, you know, just, just to gain that knowledge. So a really awesome show, you know, and, you know, we met through our networks and have a mutual coach and, you have a wealth of knowledge and connections and are happy to help people in any complex business challenge. Um, your business experience and CPA background gives you the perfect platform to help people in need with your expertise. So I'm very grateful that we connected and, and I look forward to working with you in the future as well. Yeah. No, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I could provide some value to your podcast listeners as well. If I, I hope it's not too boring, a show. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I, there's something for everybody, sissy. And this is some really, you know, some people, a lot of people don't like the numbers necessarily as much, but these things and the due diligence and all that is the, like the most important um, in there because otherwise you're just pie in the sky, but this is not 
how you really run a business. So really important stuff. So I think everyone's got a lot of value from today. So thank you very much for your time today, Sissy. I'm sure many people have greatly benefited from your valuable wisdom. So how can people find you and get in contact with you? Grow and sell your biz. So www.growandsellyourbiz.com. That's my website. Uh, and you can look me up. Uh, my name is Sissy Ma. See, and look me up for uh, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. Uh, the the capital, uh, capital Raising Show is on YouTube and it's also on many Netflix. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. All right. Well, uh, thank you everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram as Ethan Cassiotis or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. I completely agree with you, or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. Until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. Have a great day.